Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an all-new episode of Tea Time with Mary. I hope you are having a lovely Friday or whatever day you're listening to this on, Um, but I am having an amazing day. The window is open. The birds are chirping. I am wearing giant-ass gold hoops right now, and you know what they say, the bigger the hoop, the bigger the... I'll let you fill in that blank. (laughs) But today I have a very special episode planned for you. Um, My first one ever like this. So I'm going to try it out, see how we like it. But I wanted to answer your questions because sometimes as a content creator, we're always creating things that we want to create, which is amazing. But I also want to make sure that I serve you and address questions that you may have too. So today's episode is a Q&A. Yesterday, I asked you all some questions that you wanted answered and I got a bunch of comments. So I've narrowed it down to not just the best questions, but the ones that I feel like I can really dive deep on and um, let you in on my thoughts, on my heart, on my process, anything and everything you want to know. And I have selected 16 questions. I know that sounds like a lot and I'm going to try to um, zip through them without you know, undercutting any of the questions, but I also wanted this to be an episode that is very in-depth and I didn't want to sell you short. So I'm just preparing you that this podcast episode is probably going to be a little longer than an hour, just realistically speaking, because I'm a talker and hopefully you're a listener. So (laughs) let's get to it. Um, question number one that I got, and this is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot. It says, was one of your goals of recovery to also stop thinking about food and weight so much? If yes, how did you deal with it now that your life is kind of about that topic? I mean, your posts are still very much about food and weight, and therefore you're still talking about that topic. How do you turn this in to see it as a win? What made you say that you can do this without putting too much energy into this topic? Okay. So when I talk about recovery and body image and food and all these things, um, I have a very unique perspective on it. And I also have a very unique creative process that allows me to spread my message and share my story and still live my life. So a lot of people, and actually, if you listen to the episode that came out two weeks ago with Rachel Spencer. I don't remember if it was episode five or six, but it's the podcast episode titled From ED Recovery to Multi-Six-Figure CEO with Rachel Spencer. Rachel explains how for her personally, always talking about recovery and talking about her body image journey and talking about healing and try to post, trying to post Instagram posts about those topics actually kept her stuck in recovery. For me personally, it was the opposite. Um, Sharing my message and having this community and having all of you guys be like, oh my God, this helps so much. Like, this is what I've been thinking. I love your tools, your techniques, your book, your retreats. Like all of this actually fuels me to not only get better, but to stay and maintain this self-love journey because it's a journey. Like we're all always on it. Um, So for me personally, also, I don't think that I talk that much about food and weight. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong. And if I'm just, I don't know if I'm missing something here, but you'll never actually see an Instagram post about 
food or you'll never actually see an Instagram post about weight or weight gain or weight loss or whatever. And I love the people in the recovery space that are like, friendly reminder, you deserve to eat breakfast today, like eat breakfast or, you know, have dessert. And I definitely do do posts like that in my story, especially as they come up, you know, like I'll have ice cream at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, which usually would be like a big no for me and a big fear food. And so when I am having these little recovery wins and I kind of catch myself like shit, Mary, like if this was three or four years ago, you would have never been able to have ice cream and still feel so at peace with yourself. And so I will pull out my phone and take a little Instagram story picture and remind you that it is possible and that you can do it. And the more you challenge your food fears, the more you'll get over them. However, in my captions and on my podcasts and in my book, if you really start reading them, which hopefully you do, but if you really start paying attention to what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, you'll see that a lot of my techniques and a lot of my message is grounded and rooted in life coaching principles. And so what I mean by that is when I talk about body image and self-worth, Actually, let me phrase it like this. When I'm talking about body image, I'm not talking about just love your body. You're beautiful. I'm saying, no, you're worth more than that. You are so much more than your body. And your purpose on this planet is not just to be beautiful. So I want to invite you and challenge you and give you a loving kick in the ass to go beyond that and to go prove yourself wrong and to wear a crop top even when you feel bloated that day because those are the kinds of actions that are going to help you ask for a raise even when you feel really fucking scared to talk to your boss. You know what I mean? So in my like in my thought process when I'm creating content and when I'm posting on Instagram, it always comes down to a personal growth journey. And my self-love journey is just my current manifestation of my personal growth journey. And I've always been into personal growth. I've always loved watching YouTube videos with Tony Robbins. I've always loved listening to Brendan Burchard and having him explain how to motivate yourself. I've always loved business and starting your own business and going after things in life. Like I love these kinds of topics. And to me, me sharing my journey about body image and giving you tools to hopefully overcome your struggles with body image and learn how to love yourself, that is just a manifestation of all the things that I've learned from personal growth in general. So I hope you see that because that's kind of how I approach things. So when, even though like I'm, you know, a little bit, not a little bit, I'm quite far beyond criticizing my body. I do criticize myself in other areas of my life. And I realize that my body is just one direction that I fuel it. But guess what? I feel like I'm not good enough when I'm recording podcast episodes because I'm like, oh my God, do they like this content? Are they going to relate to this? Is what I'm saying making sense? Am I a good public speaker? And all these thoughts are going on in my head. So I take note of that. And I realize that how we do small things is how we do all things. So the way that you are treating your body, the way you're thinking about your body, the way you're talking to yourself, those are also the ways that you are probably treating yourself and talking to yourself and listening or not listening to yourself in other areas of your life. So it goes far beyond body image. And you'll see that once you dive deep into the self-love journey, so many other things are going to open up for you, which is why I'm so excited for these questions, because I think a lot of you are super woke and have really caught on into caught on 
to onto, onto, into, caught onto, caught on to the topics that I'm speaking about. So I'm opening up more about relationships. I'm opening up more about my career and starting my business. I'm opening up more about self-confidence and what it's like speaking on stage and doing my TED Talk. I'm opening up more about relationships with my family and raising my little sister. Not that I'm raising her, but being a role model to my little sister. I'm opening up more into so many different topics because this self-love journey manifests in different ways for so many people. For some people, self-love is abstaining from alcohol and being totally sober and going through the 12 steps. For other people, self-love is going on an eating disorder recovery journey and learning how to love their bodies and learning how to appreciate themselves and talk nicely to themselves. And then for some people, self-love is asking for a fucking raise because they need to start knowing that what what they're doing for the company is valuable that their work is worth it, that they deserve to be compensated. Speaking of being compensated for other people, self-love is starting your own business and rewriting the dialogue in your head that tells you that I'm not good enough to make lots of money and that making money is bad and that I'm bad if I make money. So these kinds of conversations that we we have, which are called in life coaching, limiting beliefs, you may have heard that term. These body image is just one way. Food and body image struggles are just one way that self-love manifests itself, but it's not all. And my hope is that moving into podcasting world and doing more writing and doing more public speaking, that I'm able to expand on more of those topics that are outside of food and body image and still you know, having food and body image and recovery be the root and being my kind of segue to being like, okay, like now that you've gotten over that and now that you're wearing a bikini to the beach and now that you are realizing that you're so much more than a body, like what's next? Because I think that that's a a natural progression of my personal journey that once I got through all of this, I'm like, all right, fuck, now what? Like, what am I supposed to do with all this brain space that I have now that I'm not thinking about losing weight or what am I going to eat next? Or when am I going to work out next? Or what is so-and-so thinking about me? Now your brain space is freed up to create more things, whether that's create more relationships, create a new career, create a family, create um, new ways to think about yourself and to feel about yourself, just create anything and create all these possibilities and opportunities in your life, knowing that you are worthy of them. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. I feel like I just rambled for 10 minutes, but hey, Q&A, I told y'all it's going to be long and I just don't want to do a disservice to any of the questions. Um, With that being said, I also got another question that says, has being so open on your social media affected your own recovery process, like specific to people overloading your DMs with triggering messages, even if they're unintentional or people treating you like your identity is just through your experience with an eating disorder? Okay, yes, like that is totally something that I've experienced before. And I actually have a huge limiting belief and fear in my head that if I stop talking about eating disorder recovery, and I start talking about more self-love in other areas, like how I mentioned in the previous question, that people will stop following me, that people will not relate to me as much anymore, that I'm going to lose this community. And it's definitely a big fear that I have. Um, In terms of recovery, it hasn't necessarily stopped me from fully recovering, but I feel like it has halted my business growth and my personal growth because 
I do have this fear that I will lose all of you if I stop talking about certain things. So kind of how I'm handling that is just having more of a balance, you know, like I'm just trying to let you guys in more on my life, you know, doing something like this q and I'm going to be answering a wide variety of topics. You'll see like we're going to be talking about finances. We're going to be talking about relationships. I've already talked about sex a lot and I'm hoping to talk more about sexuality and womanhood um, because that's personally where I'm at in my journey. And I'm hoping that you will grow with me as a person um, or I mean, you will grow as I grow as a person. What am I saying? You will grow with me. I'm hoping that you will grow with me as I grow as a person. There. That's what I'm saying. I'm hoping that um, by sharing my message about recovery, I don't keep myself trapped in a box. And that's one thing that's really hard about being a social media influencer, so to speak, is that people always say like, niche down, talk about one thing, be consistent, blah, blah, blah. And I've always had a really fucking hard time doing that. That's why if you go to my Instagram, you'll see that this girl does not use a preset, a Lightroom preset. This girl does not create like a grid on her Instagram. I am not wearing brand colors like this idea of branding has always been so difficult for me. So I feel like my brand or what I've always wanted my brand to be is like, my brand is just me. Like, I just want you to be here for it all. And if some things don't land, like, that's cool. If you disagree, like, cool. But I hope that I challenge you and that I invite you to like rise above and that these kinds of conversations that I'm having just make you think differently about you know, yourself and your life and society in general. So that's kind of where I'm going in terms of DMs and like how I handle people sliding in the DMs. Honestly, the most triggering DMs for me, and I'm speaking straight from the heart because I know those of you who listen to my podcasts are probably people I would be friends with in real life if we were closer to each other. But here comes the honesty hour. The most triggering DMs come from people who tell me that I'm not supposed to be in this space. So the ones that trigger me the most are really backhanded compliments that I get. So when people tell me like, you're fat, you're lazy, you gave up on yourself, like those are all stories that I've already conquered in my head. And because those you know, because I don't have those kinds of conversations in my own self-talk, they no longer trigger me when somebody else messages me, like things like that. So think of it like if you already have an open wound and you pour salt on it, it's going to fucking sting, right? But if you don't have a wound and somebody just like, pour salt on your hand, like nothing's going to happen, right? Because you don't have an existing wound. So those existing wounds that I used to have were like, you're fat, you just gave up on yourself, you know, you're just using recovery, or you're just binge eating because you're fat and lazy and don't want to do anything. And that you just didn't have enough willpower, right? So those are the stories that I used to tell myself now that I like, totally see far beyond that. Every comment that I get that is like that, it actually motivates me because it reminds me that like, hey, there are still people that think this way. And this is why your message is so needed. Because even though you no longer tell yourself those things, these are things that, you know, people are telling themselves and other people are dealing with from their friends, their family members and society in general. So I feel like I live in this like box And those kinds of hateful messages remind me that like, hey, no, you're still needed, like keep doing what you're doing. And this is why you do what you do. However, the comments and messages and 
shit that I get online that is really hurtful to me is when people tell me that I don't belong in the space or like you never talk about your privilege when, oh my God, you guys, like I feel like I talk about privilege so much and maybe it's not enough. And obviously I have a not enough wound, but I know that my recovery journey has been a lot different than somebody, for example, in a larger body who not only has to face their own negative self-talk, but they also have to face people telling you that you're obese or that you're fat and you should just go die and go kill yourself. And I see this on some of, you know, fat activist friends that I follow or influencers. And I see the horrible, horrible stuff that they get and it breaks my fucking heart. Um, But also I feel like and not, I feel like I'm trying to remind myself there. I'm going to be really honest. I don't yet believe this, but I'm trying to remind myself that there's a space for everyone and that there are girls that I get like literally hundreds of messages a day from you guys and other girls and women that are telling me like, oh my God, like I was always like you, you know, like I was never super duper thin, but I was never super duper fat. So like, I felt like my struggle was invalidated and that I wasn't, you know, struggling enough to get help because I wasn't super thin, but I was also like not big. And so like, I just didn't like, I felt like I was an in-betweeny that I didn't have a place here and I didn't have a place there. And so I was like, where is my place? And that's exactly how I felt. And that's exactly how I continue to feel almost on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I try to just push through it. And these kinds of messages remind me of why I do what I do and that you don't have to look a certain way in order to be struggling on the inside. And that's the whole message behind mental health is that depression can look like a smiling person at a party and depression can also look like you not getting out of bed for months and bulimia can look like, you know, a perfect body with abs like mine was. And it can look like a body that's gained 50 pounds in two months, which was also me. So I just know that the internal struggle was, it did exist. And I'm done telling myself that it didn't exist. And for all the people that, you know, want to rise up and say like, oh, you're, you're full of shit and you can't be talking about body image because you never dealt with X, Y, Z. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't deal with X, Y, Z, but I'm doing my best. You know, like I really am doing my best. I spend hours and hours on hours crafting things and making videos. And you see kind of how on my podcast, I'm like tiptoeing over my words because I never want to offend somebody. I just want to empower somebody. And I'm hoping that my message can resonate with a lot of different people and a lot of different bodies from all different walks of life. But I also know that I'm not going to be for everyone and that's okay. And that the people that do resonate with me and the people that I can help, like they make it worth it. So that's how I approach people overloading me with their own opinions, OPO, other people's opinions, other people's expectations, OPE, and other people's agendas. OPA. Um, and I remind myself that this is this is what I'm all about. I'm all about not putting yourself in a box and going for things and living your life despite what other people think. Just as long as your heart is in the right place and as long as you're you know that you are doing your best and you are educating yourself and you are uplifting other people in the community, then you know, we can only do so much. And I feel like I am doing literally at my max capacity. So thank you for being here for it. (laughs) Um, I hope that made sense. 
I know I'm feeling kind of like, did I answer that question? I don't know if I answered that question, but I'm going to move on to some other questions. <coughs> I'm going to take a dramatic cough. Whoops. My mic just almost fell. I'm going to take a dramatic cough, a dramatic sip of water. I have been drinking instead of tea lately. I've been drinking this concoction of hot water, ginger, mint, and lemon. And it's actually been really delicious, really delicious. I picked it up when we were traveling overseas because I cannot have coffee. Like literally, you see how fast I talk with just drinking hot water. Like imagine me on a cup of coffee. I will be bouncing off the walls and my heart will probably eventually explode. So that is why I don't drink coffee. And if I do, it's only decaf. So anyways, next question. Um, let's answer a question that is not so much about recovery. I will get back to recovery and body image and self-love questions, but this one was interesting. How do you create such consistent and relatable content all the time? I love how almost every single post on your page is a conversation. I find it difficult to get everyone to engage in the conversation these days. So coach Kayla, hello. Um, thanks for sending in this question. I am assuming that you're a social media creator, an influencer of some sort, and you're trying to get a message out there. Um, the social media space is really tricky. And trust me, I scream about the Instagram algorithm just as much as any other social media person. But it is really fucking hard. Like, I feel like Instagram has just been cracking down on so many regulations and making it harder and harder. Um and I listen to podcasts, you know, and YouTube and watch YouTube videos about how certain social media people, you know, try to spread their message and get more exposure and have people engage in the conversation and make sure that the growth is authentic instead of just like, look at me and my pretty perfect travel photo, which I never want to do. You know, like I always want to make sure what I put out there is valuable and that you're not just looking at a picture of my ass, that if I do post a picture of my ass, it's also because I am trying to teach you something and let you in on a part of my life. So how do I create such consistent, relatable content all the time? I have no idea. I wish I had an answer for you. I struggle just as much as you do thinking like, okay, I... Not, I don't struggle with like what to write about. I struggle with the picture side of things because I love getting my picture taken ever since I've found this like new confidence in my body and everything. Um, but I have a really hard time of doing that thing where like I set up a self timer and take pictures of myself or like create captivating imagery. And like, I'm not a visual, like I mentioned this earlier, I'm not a visual brand person whatsoever. Like, I don't know about colors. I don't know about interior design. Like my boyfriend has designed the whole house and, you know, he dresses me half the time. Like, he'll be like, yeah, that looks good together. And like, I know basic things, but I'm not good at like the artistic content creation side of Instagram. So I really appreciate you saying that. And I think that the key has always been to be authentic. And you're probably rolling your eyes because you're like, oh my God, you're another person telling me to be authentic. But really, when I write about what I'm going through or what I'm thinking and it's real and it's in the moment, that's when I get the most conversations because guess what? Somebody else is also going through it at the same time that you are. So whenever I put like less pressure on myself to be perfect and I give more emphasis and intention into being real, that's when the magic starts happening. So 
For example, I have like spent hours making like perfect Instagram posts. Sometimes you'll see like a side by side picture where it literally looks like I'm trying too hard. And I felt that way about a few of my photos where I'm like, Mary, like this is literally you in your bedroom and you set up a self timer and you just like got in your underwear and you took a picture because you felt this pressure to be this like body positive person on Instagram. And the more I'm like creating more content, the more I'm realizing what is me and what's not me. And I think the biggest thing I've learned through my journey and watching other people's is that content creation loves like trial and error. So I think that just like throwing your hands up in the air and being like, okay, I'm just going to post this and like, see if I like it. And then sometimes you'll post something that you were kind of scared to post, but you'll realize it's like one of your favorite posts and the conversations on it are so amazing. And it becomes so worth it because you just feel so connected to your audience. Right. And then other times you post something that like you think is going to be so good, but it turns out being like not so good because you realize that you know, it was good, but you were trying to be somebody you weren't. And maybe I'm the only one that goes through this. But honestly, it's just trial and error. I think recent things that I figured out is that I really like pictures that are more in nature that are more in the moment. So I feel a lot more comfortable like asking my boyfriend like, hey, we're on a walk. Can you snap a picture of me? And maybe it'll go on my feed, maybe it'll go on my story, but like whatever. Or if I'm like feeling myself and I'm wearing big gold hoops and like I want to take a selfie, like that feels more organic to me. Or, you know, maybe I do have this really good idea for a topic I really want to talk about. And I know that I need to do a, a, I need to create a photo that's going to do this picture justice. And I start having more fun with the creative process. I'm like, okay, what can I do? Like, okay, let's do this. And then I'll, I'll ask my boyfriend, I'll ask my best friend, like, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I feel like just making it fun for yourself is just a whole different energy than like, okay, now I got to batch create content and I got to take all these photos and they all have to be in a bikini and I have to look like this girl because she got a lot of followers after she posted this type of photo. So I should just do the same thing. I feel like that is just like you're just doing a disservice to yourself. Like be you and people are going to resonate with you. And like, seriously, the photos that I like never even thought anybody would care for are honestly the photos that have done the best on my Instagram performance wise and have had the best conversations. So I always prioritize engagement. And the other thing that I do is if I was like really excited about a post and then it like tanked or I poured my heart out, but nobody seemed to like relate to it. There are always people that do, whether you get one comment or you get a hundred comments, like it's all relative. Pour into that one person who does get you. Pour into that one person or those few people that comment on a post that is totally off brand or something totally new that you're talking about because those are the real people. Those are the people that are like seeing more of you and appreciating more of you. So they deserve your time, energy, and attention and like reach out to them. Like, in DMs, I send people voice messages. I will send people videos. Like if you send me a really sweet DM, I might pop open my camera and send you a video to tell you thank you because I want you to hear my voice and I want you to hear your face or see my face. And I want to bring the social back into social media. And that's part of the reason why I started the podcast is because the podcast is my platform to talk a lot. And then social media is my platform to connect a lot. So 
I probably didn't answer your question. And I honestly am no Instagram expert. Um, I just know things that have worked for me. So I hope that helps, Kayla. Okay, next question. Um, how do you deal with others around you who are constantly negative about their own weight and self-image? It rubs off on me more than I'd like to admit. Girl, Mackenzie, girl, I feel you. Okay, so listen. When I moved back to Arizona <clears throat> two years ago, um, I had a friend that I actually used to compete with. And we're still cool, but like we don't hang out much anymore. And I'll tell you why. Let me take a dramatic sip of my hot water. Basically, this friend knew. I said friend really weird. This friend, this friend <laughs> knew everything that I was going through. And she was super supportive of my journey. But she still talks shit about herself all the time. And it was so mad triggering. And I can't even say triggering. It was like so triggering that it was just annoying. It was just so much. It was just like, God, these conversations are so boring. And not only are you making yourself feel bad, but you're making me feel bad and question everything that I've worked for. And it was just really difficult to hang out with her. So I remember one time we had like a heart to heart and I started crying and I'm like, listen, this is like so hard for me to listen to. And if you don't stop criticizing yourself and talking about dieting and talking about weight loss, like I'm going to have to stop being your friend. And I gave her an ultimatum. I really did. And she stopped because guess what? When you give people an ultimatum like that, they start thinking about things more seriously. They'll start taking you more seriously. And the same friend actually called me like a couple weeks after in total breakdown. Like she was so emotional and it really hit her that she doesn't love herself. And so she called me asking for support and we had a long conversation about it and it was beautiful. And since then, our relationship has changed. Like we don't hang out as much because um, I think we're just walking different paths in our life, which is fine. But setting that boundary and doing it in the form of an ultimatum as opposed to any regular boundary, because when I tried to set boundaries, like she would just stomp all over them. That was kind of like my only way. I have a whole article on my blog post how, called how to set boundaries with diet culture. And I talk about step-by-step step, like things you can say to your friends and family members that are still kind and loving and not burning any bridges, but sticking up for yourself and telling people how you feel. Like, <clears throat> sorry guys, I'm losing my voice. I am losing my voice, getting really passionate. When I'm passionate, I talk loud. And when I talk loud, I lose my voice. So um, yeah, setting boundaries with diet culture and telling people how you feel like it's the only way. And also, at the end of the day, it is not your job to change people's opinions. It's not your job to try to fix people. And so if you need to stop hanging out with somebody, like stop hanging out with them. You know, it sucks. It's going to be hard, but you need to be around like-minded people who support your journey, who support your growth and who, who want to walk on this path together because it's really hard if one person is being a crab. Have you ever heard of the crab mentality? Crab mentality, like if you've ever watched crabs in a bucket, okay? So like put crabs in a bucket or look up a video if you don't want to deal with real crabs. That's my personal preference. But hey, if you find some crabs in your area, put them in a bucket and watch them. What's going to happen is one crab is going to try to crawl out and you'll see that they're almost out and they could easily just hop out of the bucket and crawl their way out to freedom. But the other crabs are going to pull them down because crabs hate being alone in their bucket. They hate that somebody can 
go out into the free world. And so they're going to undermine that person. And that's exactly how people are. We honestly hate seeing other people succeed when we feel close to them. So if we see somebody succeed that, you know, we're not too close to, we're usually happy for them. But if the person is like really close to us, for some reason, a lot of jealousy can build up and it takes a lot of work, a lot of communication and a lot of like solid relationship building strategies um, and relationship mending and maintaining strategies in order to keep it. But if you got to take a step away from your friend, like you have full permission to do that. I've had to do that with so many friends and it's the best thing I've ever done because either they come back and they ask me for help and they realize, you know, on their own time, what's going through their mind and what they need help with and why they were so critical of themselves or me or whatever, or, you know, you drift apart and that's okay. Like some people are in your life for a season. Okay. I literally had to pause the recording because I feel like I am losing my voice, which is crazy. Okay. Next question. Did you suffer from amenorrhea? I'm not sure how to say that, but basically I think amenorrhea is when you lose your period. Um, Yes, I did lose my period. Actually, ever since I started my period, I always had it very inconsistently. I would go six months at a time without having it. It was really, really rare that I consistently had a period at the same time each month, more than three months in a row. So it was always up and down. And that's because I started dieting so early. Um, I started dieting when I was 10 years old and I started my period when I was like 11 or not even 11. So honestly, like it's been, I don't know exactly what I did to get my period back besides just going on this self-love journey eating, nourishing my body. At first, it manifested into eating a lot and kind of going into binge eating. But even when I was binge eating, my period kind of came back. And ever since, it just kind of settled in. So I wish I had more to share with you. But yeah, like from 11, from ages 11 to like 19, my period was inconsistent. It was absent. I would go like six months at a time without having my period. And then as soon as like from 18 onwards, when I started recovery, a few months into recovery, it just came back and it's been pretty consistent ever since. So the only thing I can tell you is like, take your recovery really, really seriously and, you know, get help from a doctor if you need it or a naturopath. That's personally the route I went as I had um, a primary care physician, but the most help that I received was from my naturopath. And, you know, she gave me vitamins and I started eating a lot better and a lot more for that matter. And I stopped, you know, doing my purging mechanisms and stressing out my body that way. And when your body's relaxed, you know, things tend to function how they should. So I hope that helps. I'm sorry if it doesn't. Okay. What do you think about BMI? Does it show health? And then I got two questions back to back about BMI that says the World Health Organization scales or states that a person is underweight, normal, or overweight, or obese based on their height and weight, do you think that can help for a regular person, non-athletes, or bodybuilder person? Um, I don't think so. I think there are so many other ways to like measure how healthy you are. And again, the BMI is never going to tell you anything about your emotional and mental health. It's never going to tell you anything about your spiritual health. It's never going to tell you about so, so, so many things. It's literally like a fucking speck of sand in a sandbox. And I just find it so unnecessary and irrelevant and a waste of time. That's my honest opinion. Um, 
I think if you do have health as a value and you do want to live a certain amount of years and you do want to live healthy and feel really good in your body, that there are other ways to move towards that without having to look at any number, like literally any number, scale or BMI or calories, any numbers, like those are just so unnecessary. We have lived up until the 20th century, not tracking any of that, not tracking our weight, not tracking our BMI, not counting our calories. And yet for whatever reason, we decide that we need to do that now. Like, I'm sorry. No, your body knows. Your body knows when it's healthy. You know when you feel healthy. So I think that grabbing onto all these numbers, I think that it's just one way that, you know, we try to grab onto. We think that being more educated and being more in control is going to help us when in reality it hurts us. You know, it's kind of like the less you know and the more you feel when it comes to body, in my humble opinion, I'm not a doctor, but in my humble opinion, when it comes to how you feel in your skin, the less you know and the more you can feel, the better off you'll be. That's my two cents. Hope hope it helps. I don't know if you agree, but it's okay if you don't. Um, do you feel like it's inappropriate to compliment someone's physical features if they suffered from an eating disorder? I worry that if I trigger somebody or that I'll trigger somebody if I compliment their looks. I completely think that beauty is more than skin deep, but sometimes, you know, I want to compliment someone's physical traits. Okay, I love this question because I think, okay, so my perspective has changed a lot over the past year. I think that there's no place for body comments whatsoever. And I mean things like, you lost weight, you look so good, you gained weight, you look so good. Um, I don't know, your face looks fuller, you look so good. Even though to you it's a compliment, to somebody else it might be a big trigger. And I think because of doing so much research for my TED Talk and realizing and having this proven by multiple, multiple studies, um, that 96, I've read anywhere between like 85 and 96% of women report being unhappy with their appearance or wanting to change something. And I think that when we take that, like that's the majority of women, that's the majority of women in our society who, sorry, have body image insecurities. So like, why would we why would we take that risk? You know what I mean? Like we should compliment people on things that are a little deeper. And one thing that I found to be like really, really powerful is to compliment people on like a skill or a personality trait related to their appearance, but not their appearance. So like so like, for example, if you wanna, And this, I think it's just like a really good habit to get into. If you want to tell somebody that the dress that they're wearing looks nice on them, instead of saying, oh, that dress looks good on you, because it's kind of just like, I don't know, it's a shallow, basic compliment. If you want to like up level your complimenting game, say something like, wow, I love your style. Because think about what you say when you say, I love your style. You're saying like, I love the way you piece things together. I love how creative you are. I love how you put everything together. I love, and it employs more than just like picking out a dress that like fits you nice. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like it's something that's more attributed to their skill set and that you're complimenting their effort instead of complimenting their appearance. 
Does that make sense? So like another thing you can say is like, I don't know, like, um, I love that you are so dedicated to your fitness. Like it's really inspiring to me that you go to the gym every day and, you know, you have such a healthy balance with it, right? Like I've said that to my friends before. I don't say like, whoa, those squats are paying off, girl. Your ass looks fine. And I know that with some friends, like you can say that, but I've gotten compliments on my butt, for example, on Instagram. And it doesn't trigger me necessarily. But to me, it's like, okay, I wrote this whole caption. I serve this community so much. Like I do so much more. I'm so much more than my butt. And like, that's what you choose to compliment me on. You know what I mean? So I feel like we can all up-level our compliments in a more conscientious way. And I don't mean that you have to tiptoe around everyone, but I think a good rule of thumb is like no body comments, like let's just not. And then if you do want to compliment somebody on their physical appearance, try to like point out the effort instead of the result. I don't know. Hope that helps. How did you deal with your codependency? Yo, loaded question. Um, I've been meaning to talk more about codependency, but I just don't know (coughs) how, sorry guys, I am really losing my voice. I have been meaning to, to talk more about codependency, but I don't really know how to approach it in an eloquent manner because I feel like I still haven't completely dealt with it. Um, I think the biggest thing that has helped me, by the way, for those of you who don't know, codependency is when you have this like overwhelming desire to take care of other people, to please other people, to bend over backwards for other people. Basically, when you take on other people's pain, other people's emotions, other people's feelings, other people's life onto yourself, and you get just like really attached to other people's opinions, you're always self-sacrificing, things like that are symptoms of codependency. And where my codependency came from was besides struggles with my dad, my daddy issues, I also was in a relationship where um, the man I was with was an addict. And being in a relationship with an addict makes you codependent. And so many studies have done. So if you're an adult child of a parent who was an alcoholic or a substance abuser or something of that nature, likely because things were so chaotic in that very close relationship, you developed codependency where you were just trying to like keep the peace. Like you just wanted everything to be all good and you were willing to bend over backwards and your whole life was around tiptoeing somebody else. And when things were really, really good, you just wanted to hang on to the moment because you knew that this really good moment wouldn't last because they would, you know, have an episode or relapse or whatever. So anytime you're close to somebody who is like really unstable, likely you you will develop codependency struggles out of that where it'll just be really hard for you to like trust people and to live your life on your own terms because there was this person that was always like sucking the living life out of you. So I've dealt with codependency because like I said, being in a relationship for two years, that was um, very tumultuous from the get-go, but even more so a year into it when he fell into substance abuse. So one way I've dealt with it is honestly, I love Whitney Cummings' book. Um, It's called I'm Fine and Other Lies. Whitney Cummings is a comedian, but she wrote a book that is so relatable and just gives you permission to like be fucked up. I I love people and there are a few people like I love Whitney Cummings. I love Cheryl Strayed. I love, um, I can't think of anybody else right now, but I love the people that are like so fucked up 
and they're so open about their fuck ups and they go to therapy and they're so proud of their growth and they share everything they've learned and they are just themselves because not only do they give you permission to feel the pain and work through it, but they, they give you, they just like make you feel better because you're like, fuck, like all these fucked up things I've been going through. I'm not alone in them. And these are like actually normal things. It's just nobody talks about them. So they're so taboo. Um, so I loved like reading books like that. I love Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed because she has gone through so much therapy. She's the author of Wild, by the way, if you've read the book or seen the movie Wild. Cheryl Strayed also has like a collection of essays or they're like Q&A answers. They're called Tiny Beautiful Things. And these people send in like the craziest questions about these craziest life scenarios. Maybe they're not that crazy, but to me, like they're things that some things I've gone through, other things I haven't. But she helped me heal from not only heartbreak, but she just gave me permission to like set boundaries and to be myself and to live my life on my own terms. Um, and so following people like that and really diving into the self-love journey, I just can't say that enough, has really helped me with codependency. And my relationship in particular, I have been really open with my boyfriend about codependency. Like I catch myself and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm sorry my past relationship fucked me up and you have to deal with this stuff, but like, this is what I'm going through. And I just want you to know that it's not about you. It's about me. And I'm just processing it. And the best thing you can do for me right now is to just like, listen, and please don't take anything personally, like kind of setting up your current and future relationships in that way where you're not putting your emotional baggage on them, but you're keeping them in the loop. So they're not like stuck thinking like that, you're being a nutcase when in reality, you're just dealing with your feelings and everybody deals with their feelings differently. So I don't know. I've really admired Whitney Cummings and Cheryl Strayed. Like I said, I hope to be that kind of a voice for you where I'm like, Hey, look at me and all my problems. <laughs> and here's how I deal with them. So I hope you have permission to deal with them too. Um, I hope that I'm somebody that can help with that, but really codependency takes a lot of work. Um, it does require professional support if it's extreme and just like with anything, like don't be afraid to ask for help and read books and listen to podcasts and do your research and, and journal and, and love yourself, like fucking love yourself and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. I love you. Okay. Pep talk of the day. I don't know how <laughs> that turned into a pep talk, but hope it helps. <clears throat> How did you know you were ready to speak up and share your journey? I want to spread the message more, but I'm scared of comments um, because I already have a platform on YouTube. Girl, you just have to decide for yourself like if you want to be a public figure or not because I think that the biggest fear that we face is not so much fear of failure as it is fear of success because there are so many things that come with being successful and one of them is more responsibility. You have to deal with more responsibility. You have to deal with not only responsibility in terms of like managing your finances and, you know, committing to creating content online or being consistent or growing a business, like all of those things are responsibility. But another piece of responsibility is like the commitment, because once you have people following you, I'm not telling you, I'm not saying that you owe anybody anything, but if, if you are choosing to be a public figure and you're choosing to help people and you're choosing to be in service, then you kind of have to prepare yourself that there are certain things that are going to come with that. And one thing that I've, you know, thought a lot about is like, 
I really treat what I do on social media as a job. And I mean like a nine to five job. And of course, I am so in love with my job. And I'm so grateful that I get to create content online and that I have brands supporting me and that I get to host retreats all over the world and that women trust me to come to those and that my my ebook is doing well and that there are other opportunities that are coming my way in terms of speaking and writing and all these things. Like I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, and I love my job, but also like I do treat it like a nine to five. Like at 9 a.m., my boss is you. <laughs> and by you, I mean my Instagram followers, my my brands that I work with, my deadlines that I have to fulfill. Like that's my boss. And it's just like with any job, there's going to be ups and downs. So you just have to decide like, do you want to work for yourself? And do you want to work for yourself behind the scenes? Um, do you want to like, you know, have a a business that has more to do with behind the scenes? Or do you want to have a business where you're in the front of everything and you're dealing with a lot of people and and you are ready to take that on and to be in service of other people? Or do you want to just, you know, do what a lot of people choose to do, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, do you just want to have a nine to five and go to work and come home and not worry about work? And honestly, I've entertained the idea of all three. I was like, okay, what if I start like, a self-love quote account and I'm no longer Mary's cup of tea, but I'm just like this person behind these, you know, quotes or these messages and my image is not involved in it whatsoever. And I've toyed with the idea of like, okay, what if I quit everything and I go and pursue a degree and my university major, which is economics. So I'm like, what if I go be like a um, market strategist or a financial advisor or something like that? Because I have the education to do that. But I think at the end of the day, for me, I know that my purpose and my calling on this planet is to be in service and to be in service on a very personal level. So I love touching you. I love giving hugs. That's why I host retreats. That's why I'm planning more events. That's why I I just want to be closer with you. That's why I answer comments and messages. And I know that I am unfulfilled unless I do that. And that makes it worth it for me, you know? So decide what makes it worth it for you. And if you're ready to deal with that, and if you're not like, it's totally okay. And you can always try it and back out. Like nothing is permanent. You're never stuck in anything. So even though there is a level of commitment, you can always like uncommit and recommit and start over, but give yourself like a chance, like give yourself permission to be successful and like, like remind yourself that you are strong and capable of handling that kind of responsibility and that it might pay off. You know, it probably will pay off, pay off, pee off. It'll probably pee off. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Most of us are scared of succeeding more than we're scared of failing. Uh, Taylor asked me your life goals, career, kids, marriage. Okay. I'm going to try to be short and sweet because we're coming up on almost an hour here. So career, I, my two things are speaking and writing. I would love, love, love to be a public speaker, to be a trainer. And what I mean by a trainer, I mean like go into corporate offices and teach um, women in the workforce the importance of self-love and how to build confidence and how to serve more from a place of abundance and a love for yourself instead of a place of trying to please other people and trying to like run this rat race. So I'm really passionate about women in business. Um, That's something that I haven't yet dove into, 
but hopefully it'll be like a natural progression in my career. Um, I also love public speaking in front of girls and women um, of all ages, but especially more younger and people that are more my age um, from 18 to 30-ish. So public speaking gigs like would be huge and doing some sort of interactive workshops and seminars and having that be a big part of my career. Also writing, like writing books, like all I want to do is speak and write, speak and write, speak and write. I don't think I've ever seen myself as a social media influencer. I think that's something that's organically, I guess, happened and that I've just kind of fallen into. And it's been great to like pay the bills when brands want to sponsor me. And if I don't make the money, I can't sustain the message because guess what? I have to feed myself and put food on the table and pay my bills too. So I'm really grateful to be able to work with brands, but I don't see myself being like a social media influencer kind of deal long-term. Like eventually I would love to like outsource my social media and have somebody else um, post my videos and, and my photos and stuff like that. Um, and then me, myself, focus on speaking and writing and bigger projects like that. So that's like career-wise. I don't know if that makes sense. It's still kind of broad, but we'll see how things go. Kids, I want kids. I want twins. I want twins so badly. You have no idea. Can we all just take a moment to manifest twins for Mary? Okay, ready? Go. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs> For that, we are manifesting a pair of twins for me and my significant other. So I've always wanted twins. Always, always, always. And my boyfriend's a little bit older than me. So it kind of works out because he gets two at once. And I think that twins are just like more economically beneficial. <laughs> Cause like when you hire a nanny or take them to daycare, sometimes you get it's like buy one, get one half off. I don't know. Hopefully that works with kids. If you have twins and that's not the case, please slide in the DMs. And let me know, but I've always wanted twins. I know it's going to be a lot of work, but I'd rather like dedicate a solid five years of my life, like the first five years before they go to school kind of thing, and like raise my children in those critical five years and have two at once, then like spread them out. Because um, I like to move on, you know, like let, let's, let's pop them out and take care of them and raise them. And I know that that's not how parenting works, but I really do want to like dedicate a solid chunk of my life to small children and have a few at once and then move on to other things. Um, so yeah, I want twins. I'm open to like another one, maybe three to two, three kids. Marriage. Okay. This is something I go back and forth on. So like, I don't know, maybe y'all can contribute to the conversation. Maybe I can do a post about it, but I've had some really fucked up situations with marriage. And in perspective, like I've been through three divorces dramatic pause. So you let that settle in. <laughs> I've been through three divorces, but I've never been married. So my parents have been through a divorce and multiple ones at that. So it's been really difficult and it's really fucked up my ideas of marriage and what it looks like. Part of the reason why I struggle with codependency and part of the reason why it is really hard for me to after the two year mark, I feel like that's when I start getting nervous in a relationship because like the natural next step in our society is like marriage. I know it doesn't have to be that way, but the pressure is kind of there. So I'm hoping I'm working on and I'm about to go to therapy for this, but I'm working on rewriting my script around marriage or being in partnership in general, that it doesn't all end up to be fucked up. And that divorce isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. So I am really 
really working on that. And that's something that I'm definitely receiving support around because my views on marriage and divorce and everything have been so, I'm just so jaded, like so jaded. I get so emotional about it's so difficult for me. Um, and yeah, I'm receiving support around that. But as of recently, I do think I want to get married, I think. Um, and I say that because most of the people that I admire, and I mean like people that I've followed in the personal growth space and also couples that I really admire in real life, most of the people that I've admired are married or they're in a long-term committed partnership. And I feel like relationship lets you grow so much as a person because when you're committed to somebody else, you're also committed to yourself. <coughs> and I feel like there is nothing else really in life that requires that kind of commitment and that level of growth, like being in a relationship, because a relationship kind of like brings up all your problems and like forces you to work through them. Because if you don't, you're just going to like hurt yourself and the person you're with. You know what I mean? So there's like more consequences when you're in a relationship. Whereas when you're just like by yourself, you can self-sabotage and nobody's really telling you not to. So I do want to get married as of recently. I'm still working on those beliefs and those negative limiting beliefs I have. Um, but yeah, I do want to get married, have kids. I have some badass goals for my career. Hope that answers it. How did I start up my retreats? Okay. If you don't follow Retreats by Mary, it's at Retreats by Mary. Go follow. There's some videos about how I started retreats. You can see some of the early roots of retreats. There's a lot of cool stuff on that account, like self-love quotes. It's just daily doses of self-love spo, you know, because we all need it. But um, how I started retreats was honestly my trip to Bali after my big breakup. And I say big breakup because it was like the hardest thing I've ever been through was leaving um, the person I was with in Canada. And I booked a trip to Bali because I realized that I never did anything for myself. I never traveled outside the country. And I really, really wanted to do something like that. And it was like an act of, it was a radical revolutionary act of self-love for me that changed everything. And before I left for Bali, my mom's like, you know, my mom is Russian. So she has like a Russian accent. So this is my interpretation of her. She goes, you know, lots of people host the retreats in Bali and you could totally host the retreats in Bali. You know, there's yoga retreats. There's, there's so many different retreats and you can make retreats for self-love and they'll be so cool. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, mom. Like I'll put it in my five year plan. You crazy. Um, because I didn't believe in myself and this was at a time where my social media had just blown up and I just got published in like Self Magazine and Teen Vogue and Health Magazine. And like I was picking up some traction online, but I still was like so broken from the breakup and all the shit I dealt with in Canada. And I wasn't yet ready because I was scared of responsibility. So I wasn't yet ready to like make like start my business in a big way. I was too scared to like ask people to pay me for my services because I didn't feel credible enough. And then I went to Bali and everything changed. Like everything changed when I was on that island. And I think it's because when you're in Bali, like 
nobody cares about what you look like. Nobody cares. You can just be yourself. It's the craziest thing. It's like being around people who are down to earth, being in an environment where the people who travel to Bali are generally down to earth and the Balinese, the natives who live there are so down to earth. And you just see a whole different side of yourself. Like I remember sitting on the beach and being like, wow, I'm worth it. Like I'm fucking here. I've made it this far. I'm worth it, you know? And that's when I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's do a retreat. And me and the girl I was traveling with, her name's Danny. I love her dearly. Um, <clears throat> we met at a cocktail lounge I worked at in Canada, in Calgary. And she was like, yeah, Mary. And she's like, the like, she's so inspiring. I don't even think she knows it because she's like, she's one of those friends that's like so lighthearted and everything in her life is like really funny and adventurous. And the way she talks is just, she tells stories so funny. And I don't know if she knows how I feel about her, but I find her so inspiring, not in the like, let me give you an inspirational speech and tell you to believe in yourself. But she's like, yeah, Mary, like you could totally do it. Let's do it. Let's plan it right now. And so we were at an ice cream shop and we took out napkins and we planned this retreat. And I'm like, fuck, we just planned a retreat. And she's like, okay, okay, we're going to find a retreat center. And she helped me find a retreat center in Bali. And then I wire transferred money, like thousands and thousands of dollars to an Indonesian bank. And just, I do this thing in my business where I kind of like give myself a loving kick in the ass and I go for things before I feel ready because I know that I'm never going to feel fully ready. So I kind of just like take a risk and what I call a leap of faith and I force myself to figure it out. And that's exactly how retreats were. Like I took that risk by why you're transferring that money. And I was like, well, fuck, like, I don't want to be negative thousands of dollars. So I'm going to make it work like whatever. So then my mom and I hosted a retreat in Sedona because my mom's like, Hey, um, before doing this giant Bali retreat, like, do you want to just like do something local and dip your toe in the water? And I'm like, yeah, that would be great. So like I put it up, it sold out in less than a month. And with Bali, like the same thing, it took a few months to sell out. And I found myself surrounded by 16 amazing, loving women in Bali, 12 amazing, loving women in Sedona, another 12 amazing, loving women in San Diego, and now another 10 amazing, loving women in Zanzibar, which I'm leaving for that retreat on Thursday, which is crazy. In less than a year, I'm on my fourth retreat. So it's been magical. It's been beautiful and amazing. And it's it's made me, it's allowed me, these girls, these women have allowed me to be myself and they've made me believe in myself and the amount of love and encouragement that goes on at retreats. Like it's just, it's insane. It's insane what happens when you put yourself in a container of self-love where nobody has any ulterior motives besides help each other fall in love with themselves, you know, and we're all there for the same thing. We're all on the same journey. And we realize that we all go through the same things just in different iterations. And it's, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful what kind of freedom happens when women get together in the name of self-love. So yeah, our next retreat's in Costa Rica. Do you want to come? There's like three spots left, I think, and that's in July. So if you want to come, you can go to the website and apply there, but uh, no pressure. I love you. Okay. I do hope to meet you one day soon, whether it's a retreat or otherwise. Um, Last kind of question or last question I'm going to touch on. And this is really a difficult question. Um, I actually asked my boyfriend for some advice here because I really want to do this one justice. Hold on a second. 
M says, I'm finally feeling really confident in my body, even after gaining a significant amount of weight. I used to be close with my mom, but she invalidates that I've ever struggled with disordered eating, and she constantly violates my boundaries and suggests that I lose weight as a projection of her own insecurities. I can handle criticism from random trolls, but my self-love journey feels really incomplete without my mom on board. How would you recommend pushback from people you love? Oh my gosh, you guys, like... I asked my boyfriend because my boyfriend has a business that his parents don't really understand. And so I was like, how do you feel like when your dad doesn't like take your business seriously, even though it's like really successful? And he was like, you know, I just block it out and I find other ways to relate to my dad. And that really got me thinking that, you know, my mom's been really supportive recently, but when I tried to open up to her in high school and nothing against my mom, it's just something that she didn't know about, like parents don't get educated in how to, you know, help their children with mental health struggles. Because when our parents were young, like mental health wasn't a thing like it is now. It wasn't a thing that you were allowed to struggle with. Like the only mental health that my mom knew of is like if somebody had schizophrenia, you know, everything else was kind of invalidated. So first, like give your mom self great some grace that there's no book for parenting about how to parent. And it's really difficult to address something that you can't see, which is why mental health is so hard and why it's, I feel like in society, it's always going to be something that we're always going to have to advocate for because it's never going to be something that's going to be easily identifiable. So first, give your mom some grace. Second, you really need to set a mental boundary. And I don't mean the reason why I say mental is because you have to stop letting your mom in on this part of your journey for a while. And this is just my personal opinion. I think that everybody serves a different role in your life. So every single person is there for a reason. And every single person is really good at some things and really bad for other things, you know? So it's like, I don't call my boyfriend to gossip about somebody who pissed me off. I mean, like maybe sometimes, but like, I'm not going to like girl talk with my boyfriend, right? Because I have other girlfriends that I can girl talk with or tell girls about my period or whatever. Like I definitely do tell my boyfriend some things, but not everything because you have other friends for that. On the flip side, I don't call my best friend and, you know, tell her, I mean, I do talk about sex quite a bit, but I don't like call my best friend and tell her about certain relationship problems that I know that need to be discussed with my boyfriend. I don't call my mom and ask her for advice on how to give blowjobs when I know that I can call my friend who would give me much better advice and feel a lot less mortified doing so. So what I mean, I'm giving you really bad examples here, but (laughs) what I mean is different people serve different places in your life. And one person doesn't have to be everything for you. And I know that's hard. And girl, like I'm about to start crying because I'm so attached to my mom. So attached. Um, Like I said, we've been through a lot together and she's been there for me through my hardest times. But a lot of my struggles with eating, like she just doesn't really understand. And when I try to tell her about it, it does come off as a little invalidating and it does come off that like she doesn't take me seriously. However, when I talk to her about other things, 
we're totally on board and we're totally vibing. So I let my mom in on areas of my life that I know is going to be a good, healthy, productive bonding conversation for the both of us. And I keep her out of my life if I know that it's not going to turn out too well. You know what I mean? And I do this with every single person in my life because I think there's a woman, her name is Esther Perel, and she talks specifically about romantic relationships. But this idea about how we used to live in a village where we had everything we need. We would go to our best friends, our neighbors for sugar. We would go to our best friends to complain about our husband. We would go to our husband to, you know, bring home the bread or whatever. And we lived in this whole village where every every person had a different role and we we're constantly surrounded by people. So we never felt lonely and isolated. Whereas now, like our structure now is that we either live with our parents and have this, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to have this perfect relationship with our parents. And then we move out and we're supposed to have this perfect relationship with our spouse or our partner. Right. And it kind of puts people in these boxes and puts a lot of pressure on one person to be everything. And the truth is like, some people just don't deserve to be in on certain parts of your journey. And it's really sad to say, because like I said, I wish that I could open up to everyone about everything, but you also have to protect your heart and protect your space and know that if somebody is not ready to receive it, like, like you said, it's a projection. And I'm glad that you realize that it comes from her own struggles, but if somebody is not ready to receive it and to hold your heart in their hands in a gentle, compassionate, supportive manner, then don't bother. Cut them out. And I don't mean cut them out of your life, but cut them out of that part of your life because you need to protect yourself. So I hope that helps. I know it's really weighted. I know it's so difficult. And please, please, please surround yourself with like-minded women who do get you. It really is up to you to find friends, like whether it's online or in person, but make sure you have close people around you that you can open up to about these topics because the last thing you want to do is isolate yourself. Literally, the last thing that would help is isolating yourself completely. And don't tell yourself a story that just because my mom doesn't get me, nobody's going to get me. Like different people are at different parts in their life. They've been through different things. They're at a different level of emotional awareness. And some people are going to be able to help you with some things and other people are going to be great for other things. But one person can't be everything for you. And it sucks. And I'm sorry about this thing with your mom. I can't imagine how hard it is, but I'm sending you both love. I hope she comes around and protect your heart. Um, okay, you guys, (laughs) my voice, I had one more question, but my voice is like shot. I (laughs) got really, really passionate at the beginning. And then I felt my voice just like go away. So right now it is really difficult to talk. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed this podcast episode with the Q and a, I hope to do more of these. So let me know how you like them. Um, and let me know how you like this podcast as well by rating it. If you're listening to it on iTunes and following, subscribing on iTunes and following me on Spotify, if you rate it and give it five stars and leave a review that really, really helps the show. I'm going to be focusing more on the podcast after I come home from the Zanzibar self-love retreat, because I really, really want this podcast to be of service to you. So you leaving some positive feedback would really, really help. Um, I love you all so much. Thank you for being here. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.